0: It is just so wonderful to be here, to be gathered together this morning. It's a beautiful Lord's Day. Uh, We just, as we mentioned earlier with the, before we took up the collection, just how beautiful it is outside. The sun is shining. It is a little chilly, but it is just absolutely gorgeous uh, outside. And I want to say that it is exponentially more beautiful, though, inside. It is a warmer atmosphere, um, full of love and 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 concern and consideration for one another and it is full of souls who have offered up praises to God and and it's just such a a glorious opportunity and it's it's a much needed opportunity I imagine for all of you. Um it's been kind of a a a weird week for me because it started off on a really really big high. We were we were having a a, a great time and and making some really great memories with my family and so it was just really good and then we've kind of been brought down a little bit at at the end of the week as we remember those who have lost loved ones and and so it's it's kind of been a roller coaster week but i believe that is a really a really interesting time for this for this to happen because that's really kind of what happened in christ's final days on this earth it was a really uh, a roller coaster as he had the triumphal uh entry as, as he came back in and 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 was on this huge high and then Everything seemingly crashing down around him. Uh, and, and this morning you might have already noticed that, that we're doing things a little bit differently here. And, and I think that it's going to become abundantly clear, if it's not clear already, as to why we've, we've changed our order of services around. But, but if it has, then I, I hope that it will be very shortly. Next Sunday, next Sunday is one of two times... in in the year when many people in our society will venture into a church building. Of those two times, uh, being Christmas and Easter, Christmas is often the more popular of the two. But Easter still manages to tug at the hearts of many when we think in the world of, of Christ's death, of his burial and his resurrection. And it's common, it's typical for people to reflect on this sacrifice, even if it's only for one day. And I I don't want you to get me wrong, I'm I'm incredibly thankful that as a society we haven't drifted so far away from God that this is still in the hearts of people, uh, that we will still set aside some time for this uh, to to remember these things, even if it is just a couple of hours a year. I'm thankful that they will spend some time to remember the day, the, the, the time, when the divine Creator of this world bowed his bloodied and beaten head when he was crucified by the very creatures that he created when he came to this world and he selflessly gave, gave his life up <clears throat> Excuse me. when he committed this act of grace an act of grace that had been foreshadowed from the beginning of time that had been looked and pointed towards to and until this day pointed back to but as we think of this I would ask this question, is this how he, our Savior Jesus, is this how he wanted to be remembered? Did he want a day set aside for him? I'm going to say that many would be surprised to find the Bible never mentions anything telling us to observe a yearly recollection or remembrance of his death. And in fact, if we want to turn over to Galatians chapter 4, maybe even more surprising to many could be the fact that it actually discourages such events. Look in Galatians chapter 4 with, and read with me in verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored, labored over you in vain." Now the, the, the things that, these, that, that was being discussed here, the, the days and the, the seasons and the events, we have to understand that this letter was written to Gentiles. It wasn't written to Jews, but rather to Gentiles. And so it talks about these weak and worthless observances that they would have been involved in, pagan observances that, that they would have been looking back to but they were very synchronistic in, in, in design. After leaving this life, after, after leaving a pagan lifestyle, they were trying to adapt these old festivals and, and these old um, feasts and things that they had to fit into the, the Christian lifestyle. And so they would take an old festival and they would give it a new name or a new face and say, so now this festival, instead of representing maybe the, the god of the, the spring solstice, it represents the God of, of earth. And so they were trying to do these things, and the festivals in themselves weren't what was condemned, but they were called weak and worthless. And they were said that they could enslave us. And in fact, that's exactly what Easter and Christmas can possibly do. They can focus our attention on something very good. I don't want to take that away from, from, from what we're thinking of on these days, or from what a lot of people think of on these days. It's something very good to think of the salvation that's made possible in the death of our Savior. That's an excellent thing to think of. But does it come with a cost? Does it blind us from the reality that He has told us how He wants to be remembered? If we look over in Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22, Christ gives us some specific instructions. Look in Luke 22 and in verse 19. And this passage says, And when He had taken some bread and given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way He took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant, in My blood. And, and so Christ is setting up, He's referring to, to an observance that some people call the communion, some people call the Lord's Supper, some people call the Eucharist, But in all these different names that it is given, they all refer to the same observance. A simple act in which those who are Christians partake of unleavened bread and they partake of fruit of the vine. It is an important act. It is simple, but yet very important. And we should understand why we do it. We should understand what the meaning is behind it, lest our participation in it be meaningless to us. In fact, we can participate in it without the correct understanding and we can be disapproving or displeasing to god and first corinthians 11 verse 27 in fact if you want to turn there and just kind of put a marker in that section because we're going to be there for a while first corinthians 11 27 can tells us that it could even be detrimental to us it says here therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood and the body of the lord and so this morning we are going to look at the lord's supper and and come up with a better understanding. I pray this morning than maybe we had um, before. We will look at it and 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 realize and, and 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 realize what its meaning is and how it is that we should observe it. And I and I want to just apologize in advance if these slides are hard to read because I've I've had some technical issues with with the, these PowerPoints. So I, I'll go ahead and apologize for that. Um, and if you can't make sense of them, just, we'll just turn it off and we'll, we'll do without. But um, As we go in, as we look carefully at, at this observance and at this, this, this memorial feast that we have set aside, we're going to notice some things specifically behind it. And first thing we're going to notice is that, that, that phrase, memorial feast, it is a memorial. Turn over to Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, uh, look in 1 Corinthians 11. Now stay right there in 1 Corinthians 11, and let's read verses 23 through 25. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the nights which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is Paul's account that was given to him by the Lord himself. He said, "We eat the bread in memory of his body. We drink the cup, which is the fruit of the vine, in memory of his blood." A blood that we would come to find out later uh, is going to have this miraculous ability to take the sins that we've committed in our lives, to take the the dirty and and vile life that we bring to Him and make that life clean, make that life whole. So at this, at this observance, at the Lord's Supper, we remember, we look back, and we think of the sacrifice that He made. We commemorate, if you will. We've seen maybe commemorative plates and commemorative items that, that mark big events in, in, in our lives. Maybe uh, the ones that always pop to my mind are like for when, when, the, when the Challenger, uh, when, when the, sp- the spacecraft exploded, uh, they made commemorative things of that that, that people would remember the, how sad a day that was and the lives that were lost in the advancement of human knowledge of space. So I, that's just something that comes to my mind when I think of commemorative. And that's what we're used to do with the Lord's Supper as well. Matthew 26 and verse 28 said, For this is my blood for the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. This observance is commemorative. It is memorial that we think back of, of, of the life that was lost that day, the sacrifice that was made, and what it means to us. We have memory of what that sacrifice means is for the forgiveness of sins. Now Hebrews 9, excuse me, in verse 16. In Hebrews 9, and, in verse 16, we're going to read about his, how His death made a new covenant possible. Hebrews 9, verse 16, it says, it says just, that, just that, for when a covenant is there, or for when a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. We understand that maybe in different senses today when maybe when, when there is an executor of, of, of an account. Um, we think of maybe inheritances. I am inherited something by my, my parents, but I don't actually receive that inheritance until they have passed away. And the same thing was said about this. We have an inheritance in Christ. And there was a new covenant that was created in Christ, but that covenant could not be made possible until He had died. And then as, as we read in Matthew 26, and we're also going to see in Ephesians chapter 1, that there was something else made possible, and that is the remission <coughs> of our sins. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. The Israelites had a memorial feast. They had something that they were to memorialize as well. They called it the Passover. They looked back and they remembered a day, they remembered a night more specifically, when the power of the Lamb's blood that they had sacrificed and they had spread on their doorposts saved them from God. When God saw that blood, He passed over that house and there was no death in it. Therefore, they were saved by the blood of the lambs, of the plurality there. Likewise, the Lord's Supper today memorializes for us the night when the perfect Lamb, when Jesus, who was again sacrificed by man, gave His body to be tortured, gave His body to be humiliated, gave Himself to be nailed to the cross, and gave His blood so that God might pass over our sins. That is what the Lord's Supper memorializes to us. But it does more than memorialize to us. It is also something that we proclaim. It is a proclamation. Flip back over to 1 Corinthians 11. And we're going to look at just the very beginning of verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. We see that there is a proclamation being made there. One thing we proclaim by doing this is that we believe that what Christ did, what we memorialize, we believe it actually happened. We believe that we have remission of sins through His sacrifice. Or else, why is there any point in us keeping the Supper? But what we specifically proclaim, as said in here, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. As it says in other passages, it is to be done till He comes again. If we don't believe He is coming back, if we don't believe that He is going to return for us, for us those who He gave His life for, and again, what is the point? Why do we keep this weekly observance? Thus the Lord's Supper does something really interesting. It looks back and memorializes the sacrifice He made, and it looks forward with great anticipation for His return, for the day when He will come and call us home. And these two things we, we very well understand oftentimes that, yes, it's a memorial. Yes, it's a proclamation, but more than that, it is also a communion. First, uh, First Corinthians 10. Flip back just a chapter. In fact, you might, might even have those on the same pages. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, "...is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the, in the blood of Christ?" That word sharing, some translations say, is it not a fellowship? Um, as we partake, we commune with the blood of Christ. And it gives us this sense of, of reinforcing the blessings that we enjoy through that blood. As we've already talked about the forgiveness of sins, and first John goes on to talk even more about it, just to really ingrain this in our mind, how amazing that blood is that, that was shed on our behalf. First John chapter one, verse seven says, But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, In the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We commune with that blood. And I don't know if we've stopped to think about that for a minute, but the word commune comes from, and communion comes from the word community. We talked a little bit about that in class this morning, uh, the community of Christ. That word community refers to a group of people who share in like interests, or live in a similar place. We, we do actually live in a similar place. Most of us are residents of the Jesmond County area, but more importantly than that, if we were from all over the world but came and gathered here to DeGay, we are a community because we share in a like interest. Specifically, <clears throat> that sacrifice that the Lord made. But it also says that we are a community with His blood. A blood that is unlike anybody else's on this earth a blood that had the power my blood can't do that for you the the most greatest person who has ever lived uh on this earth barring barring jesus uh, just a, a, a human that did amazing things if we t- pick somebody out of the crowd and said this person is just such a wonderful example of what jesus was and they make their lives so much like him their blood still can't save us it was Jesus' blood. It was a special blood. It was powerful. And we get to share in that. And we're unworthy. We're very unworthy to be able to share in that. But He lets us. He allows us to share in that through this, through this memorial and through this proclamation and through this communion. But also, as we read in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, that it was with the, with the blood, verse 17 goes to tell us it's also with the body. Since therefore, or, Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, and we all partake of the one bread. So our fellowship, our sharing, is not just with the blood of Christ, it's also with the body of Christ. As we partake, we commune with the body of Christ. And this is very much in the sense of reinforcing the fellowship that we have together in that body. The fellowship that we have in the church as we break bread together. And I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but it's just so powerful a, a an image to me of every time we hear the, the snap of the bread and every time we hear the clink of the cup as it is taken back in there by our brothers and our sisters around us what we should hear in our mind is a soul saying amen a soul saying I agree a soul saying I remember the sacrifice that he made and I look forward to the day he returns and I am right here with you, standing by your side, going through everything in this life that you're going through. But I have faith and I have trust because I know God. I know Jesus. I know what he did for me, and I know what he's going to do for me. The exact extent in which we do share in the body, in the blood, may be uncertain. We, it may be hard to understand exactly how far that, that sharing goes, but I just want to say this this morning, we should never neglect it. We should never neglect the benefits that come from communing with one another, one another as we partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper has great significance. Great significance and should not be taken lightly. And so we would do well to remember what the Scriptures reveal about observing the lord's supper and one of the first things that i think we can point out is found in uh, chapter 11 of corinthians first corinthians verse 27 a passage we've already read which again we said that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the lord this idea of in a unworthy manner The New King James Version actually says that we are to do it in a worthy manner, kind of just a different play on the words. They've kind of rotated some of the words around, but it's the same meaning. But there were some translations that really confused this passage. The King James Version being one, that said that that we are to take it worthily. And some people have really misunderstood what that means, and maybe even still today have a misunderstanding. The the word that's used here, the, the description that's used in this passage, it's an adverb which talks about the way we partake of the Lord's Supper. Because the fact is, as we've already talked about, none of us are worthy of that precious blood which He shed. None of us are worthy to be in communion with His body. So it can't possibly be talking about making yourself worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper because that would just bar us all from being able to partake of it. No, rather it's talking about how we take of it. We need to do it with great reverence for God. We need to do it with respect for the supreme price that Jesus paid for our sins. Do we think back to that cruel torture? Do we, do we spend time uh, considering the humiliation that His physical body underwent? How He was spat upon. How He was slapped and punched. How a crown of thorns is an ultimate insult to him as, as his rightful place as king was, was placed upon his head. And this r- purple robe wrapped around him. These were, these were people who were mocking him. Making fun of our Lord. And then not only did he go through this physical torture, but he also went through a very spiritual torture as well. He was anguished. He suffered as he bore what wasn't his to bear. They were our sins. Not sins that he committed, but sins that we committed up to that point and to that point on, He took those sins upon Himself. Something that we know must have been very hard for Him. As God, we read as God doesn't, cannot even look at sin, and yet Jesus, paying that ultimate price, took those sins for us. Crying out those words, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? We can hear the pain. Not just the physical pain uh, as He hung on that cross, I can hear the spiritual anguish that he went through as he uttered those words. And as we read in verse 27, failure to observe with the right sort of reverence in a worthy manner brings condemnation on ourself. And, and even if we skip down a little bit and go to verse 29, it says, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does, if he does not judge the body rightly. So it is, one, that we, are, we will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, and we we will eat and drink judgment to ourselves. That's the way that that this is described, and maybe a more simpler way of putting it is that if we make light of this memorial, if we don't put this memorial in its proper place, it puts us in the same category as those who mocked Him as He hung on the cross. Not only are we to do it with great reverence, though, but we are to do it with great self-examination. As we noticed, we skipped over verse 28, so let's go back and read that now. A man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. So we are to spend some time reflecting upon our spiritual condition. Are we lo- living in a manner that shows appreciation for his sacrifice? And I'm going to say that we have a pretty easy time. Maybe, somet- maybe sometimes it's hard to focus a little bit, Maybe we, try, we, we, we have a mind that wanders, but we have a pretty easy time saying, this memorial is a time where I will reflect and, and I will show reverence to God and I will, I will consider my life for these five to ten minutes that we partake of the Lord's Supper. But what about in the rest of our day? You know, there are 1,440 minutes in a day. Do we show reverence to God? And do we reflect on our spiritual condition during those 1,440 minutes. Or what about this, 168 hours in a week. In our week, 56 of these hours we oftentimes spend sleeping if we manage to get a full eight hours of sleep. Four of those we will be assembling here with one another in in worship and in study. So, So the remainder of this time, it's 108 hours. How do we spend it? Do we spend it showing God that we appreciate the sacrifice that He made? Do we spend it uh, showing God that we appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf and that we are going to live a life that shows that sort of appreciation, that shows that reverence to God? We might ask ourselves, well, how do we do that? One way we can do that is found in uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, <clears throat> namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become righteousness of God. One way we can show God that we appreciate the sacrifice that He made is by accepting that grace. By accepting the gift that He gives to us through through Jesus to wash away our sins in our lives and then by telling other people about it. Not holding that up to ourselves, but living as ambassadors. You know, we we understand this concept of an ambassador. Ambassadors don't have the night off. They don't have the day off. If if we catch the ambassador of a foreign country doing something scandalous, it talks bad about that foreign country, whether or not they did it during normal office hours or not. If they're doing something shady at 1 o'clock in the morning, it still reflects very shady on that country. And so there is no time off for an ambassador. And so as ambassadors of Christ, we don't have the luxury of saying, I will, be that, I will be that ambassador during the worship services. I will be that ambassador while I am with others. But when I get back out into the world, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the day off. I'm going to take some time off. It's going to be my personal time as opposed to living a life that is dedicated to Jesus as our Lord dedicated to Jesus who died for us. As we read on, as we, or I'm sorry, we actually scoot back some. 2 Corinthians 5, we're still in the same passage, but let's go back to verse 14. Verse 14 said, For the love of Christ controls us. Thought about that? For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for Him who died and rose again on our behalf. That idea, live for Jesus. We even sing songs about that. It's not about what you want to do. If Christ is your Lord, you can't say, I'm not going to do that, and still consider Him your Lord. If you want to live in a manner that shows appreciation for the sacrifice that He made, we have to submit our life, our entire life, all of it to His authority at all moments. Or, by willfully sinning, we become guilty of having trampled the Son of God underfoot. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read verses 26 through 29. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of a judgment and the fury of, of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two, of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood, blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and was insulted the Spirit of grace? <clears throat> verse 20 uh, excuse me, I lost my place, Uh, I apologize, verse 29, insulted the spirit of grace. When, When we think of this for a minute, when we think of trampled the Son of God underfoot, what do we picture in our mind? In my mind, I picture dirt. I picture trash. I picture things that I would walk down the street and maybe, maybe if they're bad enough, I would step over them, but for the most part, I don't really care if they're on the bottom of my shoe. And then I think of Christ. By sinning willfully, do I treat the Son of God as dirt? As something that I really don't care about. Something that I will just walk all over. Or, or as it was on the, to say, counted the blood by which we were sanctified as unclean or as, com- as a common thing. Richard picked out some great songs to sing. He had no idea what I was preaching on this morning. and I, I love how that happens so often here. Uh, as we worship together, that a lot of times the songs that we pick out and, and the prayers that we lead and the sermon all really do go together well. He's led sanct- uh, sanctuary. That word sanctuary, do we understand what that means? Maybe in our minds we think back of, uh, uh, of the days when, when someone would run into the, the great cathedrals that were built around, uh, around Europe screaming, sanctuary, sanctuary. It was a place of protection. It was a place where, where they were protected from those who were, or, were coming to get them. Maybe they had committed a crime, and, and, and even if they were guilty of that crime, they had the sanctuary inside that building to plead their case, to let someone know what was going on, and, and to try and prove themselves innocent. Maybe that's something that we don't see as much today because we have the court systems and things like that. But maybe even more vivid than that is a wildlife sanctuary. And we think of these places where animals are protected. They can go in and they can grow. And these places are special. They are set apart specifically for, for safety, for certain animals and certain uh, types of wildlife and birds. We have a sanctuary, or we are to be a sanctuary for God, but we are sanctified by God as well. When we put the same words together, that means we are set apart. Set apart from this world, we are made special. And the blood which does that sanctification, the blood which does that, that act that makes us special, as Hebrews talks about, we can turn it into simply common blood. It is a very special blood, but are we treating it as if it is common, as if it is unclean? And therefore, as it went on to say, insulting the spirit of grace. We do that if we just willfully sin. If we know that something is wrong, we are going to do it anyway. Or what about if we refuse to repent of our sins? Hebrews 6, if we want to flip over a few passages back. Hebrews 6, verses 4-6 says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Do we crucify again Jesus? Do we drive those nails in His hand? Do we place that crown of thorns on His head? Do we spit on Him and do we slap Him if we have sin in our lives that we just refuse to repent of? That's how we're describing that described as. Now some have misunderstood this verse. We have the... the erroneous doctrine that's, that's prevalent in the world today, once saved, always saved. We also have an erroneous doctrine that says once fallen away, always fallen away. That's not exactly what this passage is talking about here though. If we think back to Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus was talking about salvation and, and the disciples said, who can possibly be saved from what He was talking about? It seems so difficult. And Jesus answered to them, with man, it's impossible. Matthew 19, verse 26. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So we must repent of our sins or else we crucify Jesus again. So in one sense, the supper is a very private matter between an individual Christian and God. It is a time to reflect on the past and it is a time to resolve for the future. But in another sense, it is also something that is to be done with other Christians, we think of Acts twenty and verse uh, verse seven. <clears throat> Acts twenty verse seven. Flip over to there. We see that uh, Paul, after after being on a journey, he he um, <clears throat> he, he he stays where where he's at, and uh, he comes to Troas. He stays there for seven days, and it says in verse seven, on the first day of the week. When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began to talk to them intending to leave the next day. So we see there on the first day of the week when they gathered together to break bread, they had done something not as individuals. They didn't just say when we broke bread on the first day of the week and then we all came together. No, they had gathered together for this purpose. There is ample indication in the Scriptures that the Lord's Supper is designed to be that communal meal, to be a meal shared for with, with, shared within a community. And it is as the disciples came together here, or as 1 Corinthians 11, as we've already been reading from, even talks about in verse 33, so then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, now obviously they were not doing it in the manner, that's why he was talking to them, they weren't doing it in the manner that they should be, but he says when you come together to eat, wait for one another, don't just come together, and as you walk in the door, go up and grab a, uh, a piece of bread and 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 bless it and then grab a cup and bless it and sit down and and we'll just all do this at different times. He said no, wait for one another. And we see that we we set aside times on the on on the day otherwise if we didn't do that, we would we would need to be sitting here all day long waiting for everyone to get here as opposed to saying this is the time when we're going to meet. Let's all be here at this time to partake of the Lord's supper and to offer praises to him. So we see that that that's the same thing that goes on today we are to to take it together and we are to wait on one another and then it goes on in first corinthians 10 and verse 17 as we've already read that they partake of it together of one bread they demonstrate that the one bread and the one body are reflecting of one another we wait take it together because we are one we are as we we may be individual christians but we are one as a church we are a family and just like a family gathers together around a meal to eat dinner we wait for one another we don't we maybe maybe someone's out working in the yard and maybe someone's over here doing homework when it's dinner time say let's come to get to the meal to the table together and let's eat even when at the sense of someone who possibly missed a meal and they come back together we oftentimes don't just say the leftovers are in the fridge you can heat them up and and go eat them in front of the TV. Maybe we sit down and we talk with them. How's your day been? We, you know, we, we know you couldn't be here, but we're so glad you're here. And we eat together. Even though maybe we're not the ones partaking of the meal, we are with them in that meal. So for this reason, when we see that we, commun- that, that we commune not just with the Lord, but we commune with one another, I really question observances like people who will maybe go camping or go on a trip somewhere and, and they're by themselves and they say, I'll just take a little bit of bread and I'll take a little bit of juice with me and I'll make sure that I partake of that Lord's Supper by myself. That's not the example we see in the Scriptures. So in such issues like this, they, they obviously fall in the realm of opinion. And I, I will be the first to admit that. But I, for, I, I want to just stress this point. We can't forget the purpose behind the meal was to be a memorial, proclamation, that causes a communal reaction. It causes us to draw together. It causes fellowship. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to make sure we do it in a way that builds fellowship both with one another and with the Lord. And lastly, I would point out that it is to be done often. Acts 20, verse 7, talked about when they came together on the first day of the week to break bread. Other indications of a weekly observance, the church at Corinth, as as we've been reading in 1 Corinthians 11, They came together to eat the Lord's Supper, and they did it on the first day of the week. They were abusing it, but it still goes to show that when they were doing it, when they were coming together, was on the first day of the week. In fact, even if we look to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, we know that it was their custom to gather together on the first day of every week. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. We understand that that was their custom. That was the custom of the early church. That was what was being taught to them and what they were were following was on the first day of the week, they would gather together. And they gathered together for this purpose, to partake of the Lord's Supper and to praise God and to lay by and store. So if we're going to follow a divinely approved example of Christians in the Bible, we can know that, that God approves of a weekly observance on the first day of the week. And that should be all the, the, all the information we need. If it's got God-approved stamp on it, then we can, we can do it. And we should do it. If that's what God wants us to do, we should be doing that. But there's also more that we can look at. And again, these things are not binding on Scripture, but they, they are a great thing for us to look at and see that even early historical evidences show outside the Bible that they gathered together on the first day of the week and the frequency which was, in which they did it. A man by the name of Justin Martyr who was around in the years of 150 A.D., just just, uh, just a, a little over 100 years after the, the, the death of Christ, he records how Christians assembled on Sunday and partook of the Lord's Supper in his book, uh, The Apologies. The early church writers from Barnabas to Irenaeus to Clement of Alexandria, Origen and Cyprian, all declare that the church observed the first day of the week as a day that they, would agree that they agreed was the day the, Lord, um, the Lord's Supper was to be observed. They did this weekly, and they did it on the first day. Religious scholars have confirmed that this was the practice, and they say, as we have already remarked, the celebrations uh, of the Lord's Supper was, was still held to constitute an essential part of divine worship every Sunday. This was Augustus Neander who, who, uh, who wrote this uh, in his book, History of the Christian Religion in the Church. Uh, he was a Lutheran who wrote that. A Presbyterian named Thomas Scott wrote, This ordinance, the Lord's Supper, seems to have been administered every Lord's Day, and probably no professed Christian absented themselves. And then an Episcopalian, so these are examples I want to give you, even from, from denominations that some of the, the great uh, authors of their literature even agreed it was the first day of the week. This was uh, A.C. Hervey says, this, is, this also is an important example of a weekly communion as the practice of the first Christians. And then a man by the name of P. Doddridge said, it is well known that the primitive Christians administered the Eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper, every Lord's Day. And he, would, he obviously notes back to Acts 20, verse 7. There is ample evidence outside the Scripture to prove that the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, every week, the first century Christians, the Christians that, that the apostles were helping to, to establish, the, or the churches, excuse me, that the apostles were helping to establish and to teach God's will to, met on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper. And then there's ample evidence even outside of the Scriptures that goes on to, to support this claim as well. Some believe that if we do this, though, if we're going to do this weekly, we're going to be guilty of doing what, what was talked about in Corinthians that we shouldn't do. We're making it common. We're diminishing the importance of the supper. But I would ask ourselves, there are many things that we do weekly that we wouldn't view as common. We wouldn't diminish the importance of gathering together. We gather together weekly. And we recognize that it's extremely important and of great value to gather together with brothers, our brothers and sisters in Christ every time they come together to worship God and to study from His Word. What about singing praises and offering up prayers? Do we devalue the benefits of those because we do them weekly? In fact, I hope we do them daily. No, we still understand just how important they are. Preaching and studying from God's word does that increase or that does that decrease its significance in our lives because we do it often? No, on the contrary, the more time we spend in God's word, the more time or, or the more significance it can have on our lives. Our spiritual lives are dependent upon values and benefits that we gain from the Lord's death on the cross, and a weekly observance of the memorial helps us to live appreciatively and to live accordingly of that. Of that sacrifice. What all this goes to say is that the Lord's Supper is a very, very special memorial of His death for our sins. It is something that Christ instituted Himself, and is something that He asked His disciples—means He asked you and He asked me—to do in remembrance of Him. And so, for us today, we should never lose sight of its significance. And as we we partake of it here in just a moment, we need to be remembering, we need to be realizing that this is a constant reminder of the great sacrifice that Jesus paid on our behalf. And we need to remember that this is a communion. This is a sharing of the body and the blood of the Lord. And we need to remember that this is a time of self-examination and of rededication every Lord's Day every opportunity that we, that we partake of this, we need to remember that this is the time that we look at our service to the Lord. We ask ourselves, is it worthy of His sacrifice? Does it show that I appreciate His sacrifice? And if it doesn't, we need to change that. We need to repent of things that might show a lack of appreciation, and we need to rededicate our lives to living a more fuller life that shows that we desire to be like Christ and we desire to show our love for Him. And it means that we're going to be building fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. As the men come up to to offer the Lord's Supper to us, I hope that we will just take a moment and that we will clear everything possibly from our minds, save those important events that happened, in the life that we have lived. Let's just briefly pause and think back of the think back to the sacrifice, think forward to the proclamation, and think right now of the fellowship. Brothers and sisters, I hope as we partook of the Lord's Supper, I hope that we were focused. I hope that we were meditating on, our past sacri- on the past sacrifice and contemplating uh, our, our future. But I also hope, I hope that if you, if you were one that may be set by as everyone else around you partook of this supper, I hope that you thought about those emblems. I hope that you thought about the blood that was shared for you. I hope you thought about the body that was abused and mutilated for you. I hope you thought about who died for you. Stop and think just for a moment. How bad, how bad does God want you? Does He want your soul? It was bad enough to send His Son to earth. To send His Son to become made like a mortal man. It was bad enough to allow Him to be born not into royalty as He deserved, the King of kings, but rather to be born into poverty. It was bad enough to allow sinful men to place their hands upon Him, to punish Him unjustly, to nail His hands to a tree and to lift Him up. Bad enough to allow Him to take all the sin of the world upon Himself so that He could once and for all make atonement for it. He loved you bad enough to do all these things. Do you love Him do you love Him enough to believe who Jesus is? Do you love Him enough to make confession that He is the Son of God and to live a life that makes that confession daily, that makes that confession over and over again, not just once in front of other people, but to, to, to people who have no idea who He is, to people who need to know who He is? Do you, do you love Him enough to, live enough to live a life that confesses Him repeatedly? Do you love Him enough to repent of your sins? To turn away from the world and turn towards Him? Do you love Him enough to be baptized? To submit yourself in humility to Him? I hope you love our Lord enough to do that. To submit yourself. Do you want to be a Christian? Are you a Christian and you want to make things better? Maybe you've looked at the services you've offered up to the Lord and you said, I, I know I can do better. He did abundantly better than me, and I know I can be more like Him than I have been lately. I want my name written in that book of life. I want it to stay in that book of life. Let me tell you what I want. I want to go to heaven. And I want every single one of you to go with me. And we can do that together. If you would, go ahead and open your songbooks. Number 269, again, just a, a, a song that focuses our mind back again just Wonderfully, to the topic that we've talked about all morning long. Nothing but the blood. If your wants are like mine, I would encourage you to let it be known. If there is some way that we can help you, whether it be to become a Christian today and start your walk with God, or if you've already been a Christian and you want to, to just repent of things that have done wrong and ask for people to, to pray for you and to help you and for all of us to band together to help one another get to, to heaven. Won't you please let it be known now. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.